The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. You know, Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for being a Trek Geeks listener. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Department of Temporal Investigations, which, trust me, is really nothing more than a broom closet on the 72nd floor of Podfleet Command Tower. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, Star Trek fans all over the place, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 271. We're excited to be back today. We're excited to talk about some Star Trek books today, or one book in particular. And of course, by we, I do mean my illustrious co-host and myself. You know, if he were at the center of a time war, and if nullifying him meant we'd restore the timeline, I think we know what I'd decide to do. Pretty much in a heartbeat. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you, but, well, let's just say war's over. That's it. Goodbye, Dan. (laughs) And he's Dan Davidson, and he's here now. Dan, welcome aboard. I would sacrifice myself to save all of time. I'm just going to let you know that right now, okay? You wouldn't have to do it for me, Mr. Man. There's no time to talk about time. Yeah, we don't have time. We don't, we don't have the time. You're so witty. And as You're- much as I'd like to be drinking tequila right now... <laughs> <laughs> Good to be here as always, buddy. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about time in that introduction because, yeah, we're talking Star Trek novels. We're talking a uh, one in particular, like you said, of the newest trilogy of Star Trek books that has uh, just started to come out. Book one came out about a month ago, which we're going to talk about today. Book two came out yesterday as we record this, and book three will be coming out in late November. I'm, I'm of course, talking about the Star Trek Coda trilogy and i'm very excited that we're going to have a very special guest with us today to talk about his new book moments asunder yeah that's dayton ward dayton ward's joining us that's awesome i love it dayton ward hi dayton 
Yeah. Yeah. So here I go. I was waiting for you to hit that period in your sentence again. And it's like, all right, it's coming at some point. Yeah. People listening to the outtake will get that. Yeah. People will. Um, Lord knows I don't get it, but um, I'm not that bright. Yeah. I'm excited. I I read this first book. Um, To say it is epic in scope really just does not do it justice. Mm -hmm. Um, This really is the start of something momentous and uh, no pun intended. And I, I think that this is going to be a really special trilogy of novels. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, I finished the first book as well. I just started the second book last night. Um, and, and you're right. It's, it's huge. It's probably going to be the biggest trilogy of novels that we've seen in the Star Trek universe just because of the scope of what's going to happen. And we're going to get into all the details with Dayton Ward when he joins us uh, later on. But we do want to warn people up front. Uh, we're talking with the author of a book that's been out for about a month, and there's a lot of things that are going to happen in this, which are going to be shock moments. So there's going to be a lot of spoilers in this episode. So if you want to read the book first before you listen to this, we totally think that's a good idea. So stop listening and just pick us up when you've done the book. It'll be worth the wait because Dayton is a great conversationalist as always. Um, but yes, a red alarm, red alarm, spoilers aplenty, red alarm. Red alarm. <laughs> Red alarm. I feel like we need that as a wave file. We do. We really do. We really do. <laughs> um, the other thing we need, Dan, is for people to send us their thoughts on Moments of Sunder, or maybe they've already read book two, The Ashes of Tomorrow, and how they get those comments and feedback to us. Uh, it's very easy to do, actually. We definitely want to hear from you. And the best way you can do that is to get yourself the Trek Geeks mobile app for your iOS or Android device. Download it, tap the more button, and you'll have a variety of ways to get in touch with us. And while you're at it, you can check out our brand new app exclusive shows that you won't be able to get anywhere else. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash app to get all the details. And as always, we don't want you to forget about the most positive Facebook group there is. It's Camp Kinnemer. It's the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks podcast network on the Book of Faces. We never allow any trolling. We never allow any gatekeeping. We will shut that down fast. Uh, we only want people celebrating what they love about Star Trek. So just search for Camp Kinnemer, answer a couple of real easy questions, and we will let you right in to partake in all the frivolity. Uh, thank Thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark, for the amazing job they do running the camp, as always. Uh, and please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Wow, that just it rolled off the tongue. That was Kind beautiful. of. I had a couple slip-ups, but that's all right. When don't I, right? You? Perish the thought. It's like, it's like you know, that you have that special moment in every career that everybody waits for in every episode. And that's what I do. It's like scoring a touchdown and then seeing the flag on the on the carpet. Yes. Afterward. Holding yeah. offense number 87, 10-yard penalty, repeat third down. Absolutely. Oh, you're offensive already. Dan, as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Yeah, indeed we do, my friend. You know, you've all heard us talk about fansets every single episode, and there's a reason for it. They simply are the best. The best products, the best service, and the best people. We know you love Star Trek, but hey, as we record this very spot, Halloween is mere days away. So head on over to fansets.com and check out their new horror collection. You can now get your favorite horror movie icons like Freddy Krueger, Annabelle, Regan from The Exorcist, 
And yes, the one and only Jason from the Friday the 13th movies. The only thing missing from this horror collection, to be honest, is Bill Smith's face. That's right. I said it. Bill Smith's face. Horror collection. I I know you said it. I just don't believe it. Um, Because that would be Fanset's best-selling pin, and I don't think they want to be that successful. So, everyone, head on over to fansets.com. Uh, lots of treats, no tricks here. Put all those horror pins and a whole bunch of Star Trek pins and accessories in your card, maybe even a couple of gift certificates. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's special discount code word, CODA. That's C-O-D-A in all capital letters for 10% off your entire order. Now this offer is going to be good until November 10th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Plus, Don't forget that when you spend more than $30, you will automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Friends, if you haven't seen the latest triple from Science Division, then I gotta say, you've really missed something big. Giant, actually. Right now, you can pre-order the special limited edition Giant Silver Triple from Science Division. Just try to picture this. I mean, it's 10 inches tall and 14 inches wide. This triple must have gorged all the quadro triticale in the storage compartments on Space Station K7. The what? The what? The storage compartments? Storage compartments? Anyway, uh, yes, like its smaller cousins, the giant silver triple is just an amazing high-quality Star Trek collectible, which we know you'll be proud to add to your collection. Both Bill and I have one, and we truly, truly love them. So much work and creativity went into creating this triple, too, right down to the softest fur you can imagine. Plus, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can use to control the Tribble. It's not necessary, but it's a ton of fun to make it scream at people like, oh, I don't know, annoying podcast co-host, maybe. I wonder who that could be. Hmm. So head on over to sciencediv.com right now to pick up one of the Galaxy's First Interactive Tribbles for your very own. If you don't already, subscribe to their social media pages to see all the latest updates, including the cosplay that the Tribbles have been engaging in all month long in celebration of Halloween. One of the more recent ones was a Trek Tuesday Who Wore It Better pitting a master thrall Tribble against you, Dan, and you can bet that my vote was for the Tribble. (laughs) Is that because, uh, here it comes. Now, Mr. Spock. (laughs) Tribbles are not dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Hi, Dr. Phil Flox, also known as John Billingsley, speaking. I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi-course meals to the unhoused and to those in need seven nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org slash volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long way. Well, tonight's guest really doesn't need an introduction because he's graced the Trek Geeks podcast network on multiple occasions over the years, discussing a whole plethora of topics. Uh, But tonight he's here to talk about book one of the amazing new trilogy called Star Trek Coda. And the title of said book one is Moments Asunder. 
He is, as I always like to say, the New York Times bestselling author. And you know what? He's one heck of a good friend, too. He is the one and only Dayton Ward. Dayton, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here again, my friend. Guys, guys, guys. It's so good to see you guys again. <laughs> it's It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been, been a, a long while. time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I got to say, Dayton, before we start, we want to let our listeners know that this discussion is going to have major spoilers from Moments Asunder. It's inevitable because of everything that's going on. So anybody who doesn't want to know what happens should really stop listening right now. Go read the book. Go listen to the audio book. You're going to love it. And then come back and listen. So with all that being said, Dayton, first question, what the f- Dude, <laughs> I guess I don't need to ask. What's the parental guidance rating for this show? Uh, we'll probably wind up bleeping that. We'll but, bleep uh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I guess we're in the f-ing deep end now, aren't we? Okay. Um, I'm just going to do that every sentence so that you have to like edit all around that. Hey, hey, don't take it out on me. <laughs> okay. I do all um, the heavy lifting on yeah, this show. It's, uh, it's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. You know, it's funny so, yeah, because yeah. I thought Dan's first question was going to be about, you know, which is tougher, killing off characters people have loved for years or teaching your daughter how to drive? You know, I think I'd rather stick with the killing characters. <laughs> it's just less dangerous. No, it's, uh, no, it's we, actually, she's... <laughs> we, we were going to open with a couple of jokes. Obviously, those aren't our first questions. Our first question to you is because. This was a huge undertaking by all three of you. Um, so let's let's first talk about what brought this about. What were the details um, before you started with this project with you, uh, uh, David and Mr. Swallows, to to come up with what we are having now with Star Trek Coda? Okay, so uh, this really began for me um, in early twenty, early to mid twenty eighteen. Uh, so even before Patrick Stewart walked out on the stage in Vegas and announced that he was returning uh, to Star Trek, uh, I had gotten wind of this through my friend uh, Kirsten Beyer, who's also a Star Trek novelist. But as you may have heard over recent years, she's been working on the Star Trek television series uh, for CBS uh, Discovery, and she was a co-creator of Picard. Um, and she's working on Strange New Worlds right now. Um, she let me know on the down low and then I had to keep it a secret, you know, for low those many months that Patrick Stewart was being wooed to return to Star Trek. And, um, so immediately my first thought was, well, that could be a problem for the books (laughs) that we've been writing for 20 years. Um, didn't have a lot of information to go on. There wasn't really much to think about, but I still started taking a little notes about, you know, like, where are we with the books and what's coming with the books and what will might be impacted by the books. Cause all I knew was that it was set 20 years after Nemesis. So, which is, of course, the playground where the books have been, a lot of the books have been playing in for low these many years, you know, with the different series. We got Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, along with some spinoffs like New Frontier and Core Engineers and uh, uh, Klingon Empire and Titan. So all these books have been creating a, a, a meta narrative over the course of all these years where, you know, the characters advance, they move around, they get guest, they guest star in other people's books, they... Tuvok gets put on the Titan and that sort of thing. You know, Riker and Troy get married. Picard and Crusher get married. Riker and Troy have a kid. Picard and Crusher have a kid. Everybody's having a kid. (laughs) You get a kid and you get a kid. Everybody gets a kid. 
So we were allowed to do all this for years because what were the odds that Patrick Stewart would say yes to coming back to Star Trek? That would never happen. Right. Until it did. <laughs> Until it did. And so um, we were faced with a challenge of what to do with the novels. And, and then about a year later, so now we're talking spring of 2019, everybody knows the show's coming. Uh, they have been developing the show and writing scripts. And I get a document from Kirsten that is essentially a guide for writers on the show. And it is all the high points from all the different Star Trek shows in a, chronolo in a chronological order. You know, so dating back to First Contact, Enterprise, all the way through Discovery, what was being fed into Discovery at that point. And in addition to that, the writers who are creating Picard are seeding in elements of the show's own backstory that will inform the show. So example, the big one was the attack on Mars, mm -hmm. you know, which we find out about. And it's set in the year 2385, which for people who read the Star Trek books is about a year and a half before, you know, in the, in the past of where the books are right now, yeah. right. that point in time. So that's a problem or that's a challenge. That's a thing to talk about. So, um, and at this point I'm working uh, with CBS, uh, global franchise management. I'm helping John Van Sitters do whatever John Van Sitters doesn't want to do. Gives me the grunt work, <laughs> I mean, all sorts of stuff. But amongst yeah, in, in and around all of that, I'm starting to read the scripts for the different shows. So I'm starting to piece together bits of you know Picard and Discovery and things like that. And come to find out, Dave and Jim Swallow, Dave Mack and Jim Swallow, have also been chatting amongst themselves about what to do with the books. And so we, Dave and I, get together at Shorty, which is this is the summer of 2019. And we, he starts to lay out his idea for what we might do in the books. The only difference between what he was doing and what I was doing is that I had access to information he didn't have. And so once he gave me his spiel, I basically, you know, said, it's even worse than we think it was. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so with that in mind and with the full blessing of our editors at Simon and Schuster and the folks at CBS licensing or Viacom CBS licensing, um, we started to put together a map of what we might do with the books. And here we are two years later for after that conversation and you've read the first book so far. And, and it's fantastic. I have to say, um, I, I finished it yesterday just before this conversation. Um, I picked it up, I think late last week and I just, I, I didn't want to put it down. Was the thinking between you and Jim and, and Dave to create something sort of Avengers endgame level? Because honestly, as I read it, that's kind of how the first book feels. There's a bit of that as an inspiration. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I yeah. think we, we did toss around. In, in, in terms of the scope of the storyline and what it meant for our characters and the stakes involved, you know, the stakes that our characters faced, the challenges that they had to face and, and, and the potential costs of taking action or whatever. Yeah, that was a definite inspiration. I mean, a lot of people seem to be comparing it to, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC Comics, which there's a bit of, I suppose there's a bit of that in there, but I don't know that it was a primary inspiration. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are some things you can, if you're a comics fan, you might pick up on things like that. That Avengers Endgame was, was mostly our, Infinity War and Endgame were largely our inspiration in terms of how big this thing needed to be, how many characters were involved, how many, you know, different lo locations had to be visited how many different people you pulled in from across the different star trek series it was it was a pretty intense bit of brainstorming and idea throwing and just tossing out anything that stuck you know anything that we come up with we figured we'd see what would stick and then we started to pair it back and figure out okay this is where we can go with these characters this is where we can go with this situation that's still a thing in the books that was the other thing too we had to take stock of where 
things were in the book line. So like, mm-hmm. where are the DS9 characters? Where are the Voyager characters? Where are the next 10 people? Um, what are they doing? Are there any unresolved plot lines that lend themselves to what we're trying to do? You know, I had things that I was looking to do in the next generation novels that I had been writing because I'd written four or five of them over the course of the past few years that that took Picard and the Enterprise out to this one area of space to, to continue exploring. Mm-hmm. And I had things that I wanted to do in future books. I just never got a chance to do it. And then we had this. I'm like, well, these are still blank, dangling plot threads. Can they be repurposed? If you've read a few of my books from that string, then you've mm-hmm. recognized a few of those plot yep. threads. Yep. Yep. So, um, but, you know, we were, as we were working on this and tossing ideas back and forth and Dave had things in books that he had been writing that he hadn't had a chance to pick up on. And Jim had a couple of ideas and, and things that he had worked on. And we're like, you know, if we do this right and pull all this stuff together in just the right way, it'll look like we've been planning this for years, like five, six, seven years down the yeah. road, which of course we're not that smart. Yeah. So we did not do that. <laughs> but that's, Dayton, talk about the Star Wars effect that you did not want to have happen with what's going on with the Star Trek Coda books, because this is a real important aspect of it. This was a motivator. This was was definitely a motivator. And this is not as this is as much the writers as you know, my Dave, Jim and myself, as it is our editors and the folks at CBS licensing. They did not want to do what Lucasfilm and Disney did with the Star Wars expanded universe. Um, for those who don't know, or those who just like to hear the story again, um, you know, when Disney purchased Lucasfilm and all the rights to the Star Wars franchise, one of the first things they decided to do was uh, decanonize, for lack of a better term, their expanded universe. So their books and their comics and their games and other narratives that take place on other platforms away from the film, the films in, the, in any television series. Um, for fans of that material, it came off as a bit of a slap across the face or of a betrayal, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, even though that's kind of the nature of tie-in work in general is that it gets overwritten when new source material comes along. Uh, that's just the nature of the beast. There was still a sense of, well, you've been telling us all these years it's canon and all of a sudden they're legends and they're off to the side and they don't really count. Uh, you know, Star Trek has been a different animal in that regard over the many years because they've always stated that books and comics and games and other expanded media narratives are not part of the canon. So there is that line of distinction between the television shows and the films and everything else. But for followers of that material, it's just as important to them as episodes and films. So we wanted to try to transition things properly. We wanted to give everything a proper, a proper transition to the new narrative and the new paradigm. That was our motivation. Yes. To definitely avoid the star Wars effect. Yeah, because that had some, like you said, that had some negative connotations from a lot of Star Wars fans. And I think the I think the key difference, which I find very interesting is, and maybe you can answer this, I'm not sure if you know, I know that canon is always a, a, a topic that can make all three of our heads explode, but was were the Star Wars offshoots, novels, games, and all that stuff, were those considered Star Wars canon to your knowledge, or was it like Star Trek and it wasn't really? It's a yes and no answer to that question. And the reason that is that way is because Lucasfilm has a group. They have a story mm-hmm. group where they, uh, they, they basically coordinate all these things. You know, they, they, they coordinate books and comics and other narratives like games, role-playing games and computer games. And th- there's, there are what they consider le- levels of canon. So there's the films and the television shows. And then on, at a tier, you know, there's on another tier are the other narratives, the other expanded media. So it's sort of like levels of canon which I have sort of flippantly referred to or 
compared to, you know, levels of pregnancy or levels of circumcision. You, know, you either are or you're not. And, and the way I know it's not is because no director of a Star Wars film has ever been told, you can't do this in your film because some guy wrote in a book 30 years ago a different version of this mm-hmm. story. That has never happened. And that will not happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen going forward. That's just not how this right. works. The tail does not wag the dog. The difference between Star Wars and Star Trek is Star Trek has always had that understanding that this material is official. It's blessed. It's approved by the studio. They love it and they make money off of it. But it is not canon in the sense that anybody working on a film or a television series is not bound by any of that material. If they choose to incorporate it, that's totally their call. You know, I think that one of the things that that impresses me and, and scares me a little bit about the book is you know, you brought up the the sort of, and I hate using the C word canon, but I'm going to, the sort of canon and canon adjacent things in all the novels. Um, was that hard to keep straight? Because, I mean, there's a lot of elements there that you're juggling. Um, and then what is it like to try to call back to all of those, some of which you may have written and some of which you might not have? Well, I mean, the, the, I guess one thing to remember is even though the, you know, the, the powers that be and the people who make films and television shows don't consider this material canon, right. we are required to remain in step with the canon. Right. You know, as we know it when we're writing it. So we, in our heads, there's a, there's a segment in the back of our little monkey brain that tells us this is kind of sort of canon. I'm trying to thread my story and I'm trying to make it consistent with what we know on screen. So I treat it as a sort of a form of canon in my own head just to make sure I keep the details right. And consistent so that, you you know, if you're if you're watching the episode and you read my book, or you're watching a film, and you read my book, they should sort of flow together and feel like it's all part of the same universe. That's the idea. Right. Right. Um, right. As far as keeping all the details straight. Yeah, that's an ongoing nightmare. Uh, <laughs> and it just seemed I mean, with the expanded universe and with our interlocking narratives, it's you know, every every book requires a little bit more homework, you know, just to keep track of what you're doing. Now, and I've been fortunate that I've sort of stayed within one area of the sandbox like largely i write next generation novels so or, you know when in this in terms of this ongoing narrative i've, I've kind of stayed with next gen so my homework is all the previous next gen stuff um and a few other bits and pieces here and there but i mean it's there's just so much information it's it's easy to overlook something that you might consider small not unimportant just you miss it or you forget about it or somebody told a different story with that you know and you know it's told it in a different way I mean, it happens in every book. There's always some inconsistency that crops and creeps in, and that's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. I can I can imagine that you have one of those boards like like Mariner Beckett has in, in Lower Decks with all the <laughs> lines going to all the different things. Do you actually do stuff like that when you're collaborating with the guys about all these different things and tying them together? We did for this one. Um, we, 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 we tried to, um, you know, the, but even then it was just like, okay, there's just so much material here. We're, we're going to have to pare it back because we just don't have the room to give everything proper justice that we want. No matter how many, no matter how, which way we went with this or which direction we opted, we knew we were going to upset or make somebody feel like they got left out. You know, all we could do is give it our best try and, 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 and uh, hopefully people will understand that we, you know, we gave a full faith effort. Um, to address everything. There were some things we weren't allowed to do. Uh, there were some things that we were asked to, or, you know, there was a preference expressed that we not do certain things. Um, so, and we, so we tried to honor those wishes as much as we could. Um, uh, it was just, you know, it's a daunting task to try to tie up all this stuff or, or get it molded into a shape that it can transition to what you're now seeing on your TV screen. Right. I, I should have prefaced that with Mariner comma 
Beckett instead of just Mariner Beckett. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, are we going last name first now? Is this Bajoran? Always. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, what are the. F- I knew what you meant. So. <laughs> well, you, you're sitting there in the Cerritos 10 forward. So, yeah, I guess so. Um, you know what? I'm I, I'm ex-military. So whenever anybody asks me my name, I always give there it my you last go. name. See, so I knew what I was doing, Bill. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 you no, didn't. no, you didn't. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, it, it, it's funny, um, Dayton, that, that Bill brought up Infinity War and Endgame. Because one of the things that I, I find myself doing, and one of the things I love about reading novels is that I get to have... Um, my own visuals come into my conjure up in my mind as to what things are looking like. And it's guaranteed that every other person is picturing something different, which is one of the things I think is so cool about, about reading novels and reading about the Davidians, the things that were popping into my mind were the flowing robe of the red skull uh, on Boromir from the Avengers movies but without the red skull face, I was actually, you know, those flowing robes that you're talking about when the, when the, the um, aliens are showing up all over the place and then their, their emotionless face. I was picturing the robot race from Voyager's um, prototype episode. Um, so it's kind of neat how your descriptions of how these different aliens are, have different things pop into people's minds, even ones as simple as mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, so it, um, yeah. Was there a question in all? No, I was going to say, <laughs> I, so, I, no. I, I don't know. I guess my, no, I guess was, my uh, question, it, yeah, there kind of is a question that I guess when you're, when you're writing these things, you've got things that obviously you picture in your mind and how different are they from descriptions of what people think or tell you that they picture in their minds when they're reading your stories? Okay. All right. Well, if it helps, let me, let me try to describe what was going on with my brain in the early chapters of this thing, I was trying to not give it away (laughs) in the first third of the book, who the bad guys Mm -hmm. were. Um, And, you know, thankfully there's not a lot of material with, with the bad guys. Uh, I know we're not, not, we haven't quite got spoilers yet, so we'll we'll hold off before we give another warning. But, um, but what we see is very distinctive. And so if, I was wrestling with how to describe what I consider to be advances in what these individuals, you know, this, what this alien race does now versus what it did the last time our feet, our people encountered them, which is what in the timeline we're talking 20 yep. years ago yep. in Star Trek time. Um, so how do I make them different? But yet when you go back and you read the descriptions, you're like, Oh, you know what? He was describing that thing from the episode, just a bigger version of it or a more fierce looking yep. version of it. So that was the trick was, and I, cause I kept thinking, how are they not going to know it's, you know, the blanks <laughs> on page 50. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I, and so luckily Dave and Jim talked me down off that ledge uh, and, 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 and uh, reassured me that no, we're fine. It's going to be fine. And if they guess it, who cares? You know, that kind of thing. I think there, there may have been two or three people out there who confessed to me that they they thought they had guessed it early on and came back and said, yep, I was right. You know, because I was getting people commenting like in real time. I'm up to chapter four, blah, 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 blah. And they're giving me all their theories. I'm like, just keep reading the book. You know, <laughs> so I, that kind of thing. So, um, so, yeah, that was the trick was to, you know, how do I describe these things? And, you know, if there's a way to elicit a particular comparison, like, for example, the, the guys with the, you know, the avatars with the robes. I don't know that I necessarily had the prototype androids, but I, I wanted that the idea of just this motionless, featureless face that that's kind of resembles a humanoid, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any of the detail. 
Um, so not quite the synths that you see in Picard. Yeah. Um, maybe even less evolved than that. I basically wanted him to be just featureless. You know, they have nothing at all to offer because that's the the point of them is not that they're not meant to be looked at. They're meant to carry, you know, the consciousness of mm -hmm. the people controlling them. Who cares what they right. look like? They, they're a means to an end. You know, it's it's interesting, and and I am going to get into spoilery things now. So if you've made it this far and you're still listening and you haven't read the book, please stop now. Go read the Red book. alarm. I beg you, big. Yeah, red alarm, red <laughs> alarm, because you're going to love it. Um, so it's funny because when you talk about the three or four people that may have said, ah, I'll bet it's the Davidians. I was kind of four and a half because I'm reading that section. I'm going, that kind of sounds a little bit like those guys from Times Arrow. So uh, at what point did did you settle on or uh, I'm assuming it's you who settled on the Davidians? Maybe it was you or Jim or Dave or all three of you. And it, it and why them over a different alien race? It was all three of us. Um, I, it's 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 probably worth repeating several times over the course of the conversation that everything that happens in the three books, um, we all have buy in. We all work together to develop the, the storyline across the three books. What things were going to go in which book? Which book was going to focus on what set of characters? Uh, and that kind of was determined also by the batting order that we arrived at even before we really got going. Um, we knew that we wanted Dave to anchor the thing. Um, it became a, a almost it wasn't quite a coin toss. It was mostly availability of schedule from between me and Jim. So Jim was under contract for a, a, at least a, one other novel from for a, you know an unrelated uh, thing, nothing to do with Star Trek, and and I believe he was juggling it with some other writing obligation that he had at the time. So because he's a grown up writer and he's much more busy than Dave and I am. Um, so that was what determined that I was going to be the lead off hitter this time around. Uh, I could have just as easily been booked too, uh, but for, but for schedules. Um, so anyway, as far as determining the Davidians were going to be our big bads, you know, we were trying to cast about for, do we want to create an alien race to represent this threat or do we want to dive into the lore and try to find something that hasn't been, done a hundred times like we don't you know we know we didn't want we couldn't do the Borg because if you've been reading the books you know why the Borg aren't a thing right um right. or are they um, <laughs> i'm gonna get to that so, at some point yeah and then i don't want to i'm not closing off any avenue of speculation <laughs> right i'm not i don't want anybody thinking they've got it figured out um so the davidians were were enticing because we hadn't heard yeah there had been almost nothing done with them beyond the original episode they think they show up in a couple of comics from the 90s you know, oh, yeah. So it's it's yeah. been forever since there was anything really heavy done with the Davidians versus, you know, the Krim or um, other other aliens that you may or may not see in these books. Because even if they're not the big bads, it doesn't mean they're not, you know, not being thought of. We're not considering them. Um, so, yeah, we wanted something different. And we thought that the, the, that the slate was kind of clean with using the Davidians. We could pretty much do whatever we wanted with them. So as we're into spoilers now, there's there's a lot of things that are going to that are that happen in your book. There's a lot of things that are going to happen in the next two. We're sure um, right off the bat. Guardian of Forever, man. I, mean, yeah, I was I was guy. like, wow, <laughs> what is this guy going to do to me? I just was like not even expecting that. I was not expecting that at all, because I also got to ask how and maybe it's something we'll find out later in the next two books. Is it the guardian that we know of? Is it the guardian of a different timeline? Because we all know what happens in Discovery. Yeah. So I'm kind of <laughs> curious as to 
It's a time okay. travel story. Right. Things are going to happen. You know? Dan's not very smart. Yes. <laughs> but we don't know. You don't you don't even know when the Guardian, what yes. time frame the yes. Guardian was destroyed yep. in yet. Yep. And so it's just, you know, it's, hey, it's time travel. It's all tiny, whiny and, 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 and dark and scary. It's a, uh, I, I don't know. We, I just, I don't know. Screw that guy. Screw Carl. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I liked him better on CSI anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Go back and beat Jim Brad. Um, <laughs> he has actually. Yeah, I just, I just thought yeah. that was a nice way to start. It was like, okay, yeah. let's just, let's just demonstrate that things are, you know, everything's up for grabs Absolutely. by doing something like that. Yep. Now, one of the one of the main spoilers, and it's funny, I was about a day ahead in reading the book than Bill was, so I'm reading along my book, and I, I, I see what I see what happens to Wesley and. And I'm like, oh God, I just I cannot even believe that Dayton is doing this to us. And then the next day, <laughs> dude, he killed Wesley. And I'm just like, yeah, keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things that I love about the book is that th- you just said it. I just got put in my place a minute ago about it's time travel, it's different dimensions. And that's one of the things that can be so satisfying and yet so confusing for want of a better term about these types of stories, which I think is, 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 is great. And that you're able to do it in a way that kind of makes it all flow and come together in a way that us normal people can understand. Well, I thank you for, for implying that I understand it because <laughs> I had to write it all down and then draw a little charts and stuff. Um, I am not the science guy, you know, uh, if I have anything science related, I go to Christopher. Bennett, well, I'll tell you, you what, know, you, you wouldn't know that with the, the, and I'll use this. I don't use this in a derogatory word, but you sound like you are with the, the amazing techno babble that you use in your story. I mean, it's, it's really great. I will say there's a lot of techno babble in the yeah. story. And I, yeah. I, I tend to, tr- I tend to, I don't say I avoid it, but I really don't like relying on it. Um, but the nature of this particular plot, you know, device required a bit more of it than I'm usually keen to include. Yep. You know, yep. I, I try to find, I try to, I try to do it the old, the way the old original series used to do is where you try to offer a really technical explanation for a couple of sentences. And then somebody comes up with the mundane comparison that makes it all make sense to normal mm-hmm. people. Like, like trying to catch a bullet with a tennis racket or whatever, you know. <laughs> Something like that. It's just I'm I'm that guy. I'm the guy who thinks that makes sense. Like, oh, okay. Well, if the, if he can figure it out, then we're all good. Um, yeah. It's but the nature of the plot and the nature of all these moving pieces kind of required me to dig a little deeper into the techno babble. And and it's, man, I don't know how those guys do it week after yeah. week. You know, there are a lot of characters in this book that we we say goodbye to. But I have to say that, that, you know, Dan talked about Wesley up front. I was surprised by how affected I was by the death of old Wesley. And I'm calling him old Wesley on purpose. Uh, yeah. just to, to, to That's what we called him in our outlines. Yeah, we delineate him, him from not old Wesley. We um, called him old man Wesley because all I could think of was old man Logan. Yeah. Or, you oh, know, yeah. Uh, which was our comparison. That was kind of our comparison mm-hmm. was that he was old man Wesley. Cause at one point I had actually pitched an old man Wesley idea to IDW for comics. Like, you know, he's a bitter old traveler and he's pissed and now he's back and you know, that kind of thing. Oh. Um, but I shelved it because they went different ways, but that was our idea was, it was basically kind of like a, like just, he was just an old guy had been doing this for a long time and it was weighing on him. Um, and then, you know, you come back a couple chapters later and there's a younger version of Wesley, not quite so old, but still grizzled and pissed. <laughs> <laughs> grizzled Wesley. Um, 
Yeah. And, and I think that's really the thing that, that kind of made me take a step back and realize that the scope of this is much larger than my tiny little pea brain can, can wrap its hat around. You'll start to see it come together in book two. I mean, you're like, well, where did this guy go? Where did this guy come from and to die on the Enterprise? Well, book two is going to probably answer some of those questions for you. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if that'll happen. Were there any of these characters that, you know, that that met their sort of untimely demise that that you felt bad writing about? I mean, is there any you developed a significant attachment to that you hated kind of killing (laughs) off for want of a better word? Well, I mean, I think we talked about it before we before we actually started rolling. But, you know, I am not known for wanton destruction and a casual disregard for life. I, I mean, I don't I don't kill characters lightly. No. Um, no. Not to say that any of the other authors do that. I'm just right. like, I'm definitely not known for that kind of thing. And so when we were talking about the storyline, it was like, well, we're going to have to do this and we should do this. And it would really be effective if we did that. And it started to, you know, like, oh, wow, I'm going to be the lead off hitter and these people are going to be pissed at me. Uh, <laughs> and so that's just, yeah, that, that kind of weighed on me a bit. I mean, I, I've, I'm attached to all the characters to one degree or another. Um, there's really none of them that I would actually like, I ah, kill that prick. <laughs> I would never do that. Um, Except for that one guy, and he knows why, and he knows what he did. Um, you can do that if you ever have Bill Smith in one of your novels, kill him twice. There you go. So there's like there's two things to this. It's like well, there's one character who gets you know who who meets their untimely end in my book, and the ramifications of that don't really start to land until book two. Oh, oh we're in spoiler territory, aren't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we can, okay. So Ezri Dax, Ezri Dax gets killed during the final climactic yes. battle in my book. Yep. Yes. And the, 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 the aftermath of that and its effects on other characters doesn't really start to, to, to well up until book two. Uh, and, and then the reasons for that will become clear as you read book two. It's like, you know, everybody asks about, well, why was Worf not impacted by this? Well, you're going to find out why in book two, why Worf is doing the things he does or why he's compartmentalizing or whatever, however you want to call it. Um, but still, killing off a canon character, even in the even in the confines of a book like this, um, that's a big thing. That's yeah. a big deal. That's not something that we undertake lightly. I mean, it's not like, oh hell yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna sweep the board clean. That's not at all what we were thinking. It's like, well, which deaths will have the most impact at which point in the storyline, and how do we how do we do it in such a way that the reader knows, okay, the gloves are off. This is a real thing. Yeah. Is there going to be a reset button in books two and three? Well, you have to read books two and three to decide how that's going to work out. But I think it was important in book one and Dave and Jim actually kind of had to lead me to that was, you know, we really need to kind of just drop the hammer on a few favorites to show that the stakes are high. The cost of this victory will be high, assuming we win at all. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when Black Widow goes over the edge in Endgame, we all feel that one because, you know, that was the future Mrs. Ward that just went over that cliff there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wait, wait, Black Widow was played by Carla Cugino? <laughs> what? <laughs> in my mind, yes. No. Um, what a great movie that would have been. But um, no, she was in the other superhero movie. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, but I mean, no, it's not, it was not a light undertaking. The idea of doing what we did, you know, with, with various characters in these three books was not at all a casual conversation. It was, it was a couple of, you know, very 
intense conversations where we decided, you know, is it really what we want to do? Do you know, how are fans going to take this? And, you know, Dave, who's much better suited for these kinds of stories is like, here's how it's going to go down and here's how it's going to happen. Here's you're going to feel like crap for a while, but you know, it'll, it'll be okay because by the time they're really mad at you, here comes book two (laughs) and you're off the hook for a few minutes, you know? It's, it's funny because, you know, I I read that passage and I texted Dan, I'm like, wait a second, did they just kill Esri? And I I had to sit there and kind of dumbfounded in a bit to go, holy crap. They didn't do it. It was because it really, it, it really brought it home. Um, so I, my hats, I, that was a particularly moving passage, by the way, I love the perspective in that particular paragraph, Dan, you look like you want to say something about, yeah, that. I was going to say one of the things that I really found interesting Dayton about the way that all of these people die, whether it's just regular security, red shirts or, or, or characters that we, that we know through the books or even the shows is this whole, they get touched and they just disintegrate because they age so rapidly to be able to have Esri's death from hers and Dax's perspective was was this level of intensity. It was way yeah. up there. It was one thing to be reading about how you know Picard watched as so and so disintegrated in front of their eyes, but to have the 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 thoughts of what Dax was feeling and then and Esri was really a powerful moment. I think that was the most powerful moment of the whole story for me. Oh wow! Well, yeah. thank you. Um, I. I have a couple of other deaths where you are in that character's point of view when their end yes. comes, but it's just sort of like, and the picture goes black mm-hmm. kind of yeah. ending, you know? And yeah. I, I knew I could only do what you're describing as what, ha- what we do with Dax one time. Right. And so it had to be from knowing, you know, knew, knowing from the outline that I knew how, who was going to go in the book. I'm like, I need to save that for, for Esri Dax, uh, because I'm only going to be able to do this once effectively. Yep. Other times it's just yep. going to have to be the, 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 it happens off camera kind of thing. So yeah, it was, it was a tough scene to write. It's like I said, I didn't, I don't undertake such things very lightly and between her death and Teresa Chen, that's the one that, that also the other one that also got me because that's probably my favorite of the yeah. relaunch characters yeah. that have yeah. been created for the books. And I've been fortunate enough to write, you know, several books, featuring her. And um, I love the dynamic between her and Picard in particular. Mm -hmm. I have always tried to foster a mentor relationship between Picard and Chen. And, you know, I also, I don't, maybe we've talked about it. I don't know if I've talked about it with you all before, but I had approached their dynamic early on in a way similar to, if you watch NCIS, the relationship between Gibbs, the hardcore investigator who doesn't really have a lot of sense of humor and Abby Shuto, the goth, unconventional lab tech, right? She's the only one who can get away with pushing his buttons a little bit and teasing him and being, you know, unconventional and unorthodox. And he tolerates it because he's got a lot of respect for her. He views her like not, not just a daughter type person, but also, you know, it's just, she, she definitely brings a different perspective and a dynamic to, to their team. And, I always loved that play, the way they played off each other on the show. And that's kind of what I tried to recreate with Picard and Chin because, you know, Picard was a stuffed shirt early on yep, yep. and he mellowed with the movies and he mellowed. And by the time of the books, you know, now he's a dad and he's a husband and he's definitely been doing this for a long time and he's got a different perspective. And I don't care what anybody says, being a father changes you. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely rejiggers your, your, um, your your priorities and you, you realize you know just what is actually worth losing your using your mind over like for example i save my losing of my mind for when my kid is behind the wheel with her learners <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, I, I have tried to write Picard as a guy who has mellowed in recent mm-hmm. years um, and this new dynamic with these newer, younger officers who are taking the place of old friends helps with that, you know, because I've been able to write in their points of view. So I get to see, you know, when you write Picard, you write Delforge, you write Worf, people are so familiar with these characters, they can, they can almost predict how they're going to mm-hmm. react to a certain set of circumstances, you know, to an alien, con- to a first contact or an alien battle or whatever. But if you're writing it through the perspective of one of these newer characters who hasn't been with these people for nearly as long, then you, it's a way to kind of freshen things up a little right. bit. So I can have Picard, I can have Chen looking at the situation and, and watching how Picard reacts, but I can give you her reaction to that mm-hmm. scenario because she's not nearly as familiar. She's not nearly as, you know, not nearly the veteran that Picard and the other senior staff are at this point in their careers. Yeah. Uh, one, one other quick question, uh, one other quick comment about Esri, and then I also want to have a uh, comment about Jan- is Bill mentioned it actually uh, uh, briefly is, is that scene with, with Esri and Dax and their perspective, unless we're just two dummies, you, you, you don't really know. If if she's gone right away at the end of that paragraph, oh my God! Should I spoil anything from the second or the third books, or should I just let you sit there and stew? Nobody's listening to this, so you could say whatever you want. Okay. And then the other thing that I was going to say is is the relationship that that she and Picard have have built up over the stories that you've written, Dayton. They're they're close. I mean, she saved his life. They've got a relationship that has really built. He's been the mentor and 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 even though she's been kind of the um the sarcastic like like the one from CSI, I think it was I think it it worked on such a strong level that she didn't just disintegrate, but she she aged and suffered and he had to watch her in sick bay die. I thought that was an extremely emotional and very powerful moment in the story. Also for those that have read about these characters over the last several years that you've written about. So kudos to that too. That was, that was brilliantly done and a real heart in the dagger type moment, a dagger in the heart. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. Comma. One of those things. Um, <laughs> comma. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag comma. Um, well, I mean, thank you. I, it was it was a hard scene yeah. to write because, like I said, she's yeah. she was one of my favorite. It was a hard set of scenes to write because she's one of my favorite mm-hmm. characters. And then you know the, the relationship. One of the things that I've played with every once in a while, and I, it crops up as a reference, is you know the book that Picard gave her. Uh, yeah. that, that he also sometimes reads to Renee, his mm-hmm. son, and it's a it's a it's a thing that I've been doing off and on for many many years. And uh, so basically, it's. For those who are longtime Star Trek novelists, like going back to the 80s, that book is essentially the book within the book of Strangers from the Sky. So it's the alternate version of First Contact. And the original idea was that Riker gave a copy of the book within the book. So not not the novel that we have written or, you know, not the novel that Margaret Bonanno wrote, but the novel referenced inside her story. Riker gave that a copy of that to Picard one for a birthday after uh, the events of first contact. It's like, yeah, we know how it really went, but here's another version. That's pretty cool too. And that's sort of always been a nod that I gave to Margaret Bonanno. And then, you know, she died earlier this year and um, quite suddenly. And so I had one more chance to kind of slide in one more last, you know, salute to her because strangers from the sky, the novel is perhaps still one of my very favorite star Trek Mm -hmm. stories. One of the best ever written, honestly. Um, and she was a wonderful person. So, yeah, it was a tough one. Between her and Dave Gallanter, I mean, yeah. it's been oh, a rough, rough, rough year for Star yeah. Trek novel community. It really has. 
Um, so you mentioned it a little earlier, and I want to bring it up now. Um, you mentioned the Borg. And uh, up till now in the novel continuity or the novel verse or whatever people want to call it, um, the Borg have been kind of nullified without giving too much detail about that. But um, are they back? Are we going to hear more about them in book two or three? I'm sure that the word Borg is used at least a couple of times in the books. I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you what context, but they're, you know. Um, I can't, I, I'm pretty sure I refer to the board. You do. Board. Absolutely. You do. Yeah. You do. So, yeah. yeah it's, you know, it's, they're, they're never far from they're your thoughts. Really you know? Yeah. No, really gone. One of the things I, I appreciate about book one is the explanation of the sort of feeding on unstable timelines. I had never considered that as something that, you know, as the Davidians might do to sort of raise their game or to raise the threat level, if you will. But the whole idea of, you know, a timeline becoming unstable and then needing trimming or pruning was really kind of fascinating, knowing that they sort of gobble up all that neural energy. Um, and and it, I, I, I guess I, I have more of a statement than a question, and that is um, I can't wait to see what happens in book two and three, because this is sounding like an all-out time war of sorts. Somewhere out there is a timeline where the gold key comic adventures happened, and for all you know, that's the timeline that's going to save it all. Yeah. Wow. That or the Happy Meals comic book strips or whatever. <laughs> I, mean, we, um, I mean, it's not to make light of it, but we, when we were coming up with this concept and how it could work, you know, we realized that if we set it up a certain way that the events of, for example, what happens in Star Trek Online and their slightly different take on things not slightly they're 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 different take on the events after the star trek next generation films and what they did going into the 25th century could also be supported you know by what we're doing mm -hmm. here there's room for them to play in this in the sandbox that we've created yeah. and of course you know the idea now that now that now that the idea of a multiverse is not nearly so oddball as it used to be it's like everybody has a multiverse now you're not cool if you don't have a multiverse so you know do that do are there are there versions of the star trek multiverse where the gold key comics were the thing you know and, and nobody you know they never stopped wearing backpacks on landing parties and they carried pink phaser rifles um, <laughs> is there a version of the enterprise that shoots fire out of its shuttle bay you know i mean it's just it's hell just, yeah it's fascinating to even think about it is there a version out there where spock wears a red shirt and it's captain kurt and not captain kurt <laughs> i mean yes i believe it all of that is possible you know many such journeys are possible let the guardian be oh, that's right i killed that <laughs> you killed that yeah find a different way so, so if this all ends with Patrick Duffy in the shower, I'm going to have words with all three of you. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I, it's going to end with Patrick something. I just don't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm waiting for is in book two, uh, Riker's going to show up on the Titan and Renee is finally going to wake up and he's going to look at himself as all of a sudden this grown up person. And he's going to go, Admiral Riker. It's too soon for this. And I'm just going to just, I'm going to close the book and that's going to be all done. I'll be all set. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Spoilers. No. Well, um, I'll tell you. We covered that. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, Dayton. It's it's fantastic. Um, of course, Moments of Sunder is available right now everywhere, uh, as is uh, book two, uh, which is The Ashes of Tomorrow by Mr. Jim Swallow, as we talked about. And then on November 30th, uh, Oblivion's Gate by the wonderful David Mack will be available to wrap up this amazing trilogy. 
as always, your work is just fantastic. Uh oh, Bill's got a question. question. I, I have one other question. I forgot, Dan, yeah. before you oh, wrap absolutely. it up. So, what happens to the novels after this? Ooh. Well, I mean, there's there's going to be Star Trek novels. I mean, that's as long as there, there's been there's as long as there's Star Trek, there will be Star Trek novels. So, you know, they're just evolving to to keep pace with what Star Trek has is doing on television now. So, what happens after Coda? I have to wait and see. Okay, um, there you go. All right. So can I finish now, Bill? Uh, <laughs> I will allow it. In all seriousness, Dayton, it's, it's always, it's great to see you. Oh, now Dayton's got a question. No, I'm crying <laughs> out loud, guys. No, <laughs> no, it, Let me get through it once. <laughs> we always we always have a good time. It's always great to see you, man. Um, another fantastic read. Highly recommended. Um, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to be mad at you for a while, but you know what? It's all okay because book two's out now and then they can all get pissed at Jim. So <laughs> going to say that they're going to be mad at Jim if they're not already. So, um, I'll just, I'll just be through. They'll be done with me. I'm like, okay, we're done being mad at Dayton. It's Jim's turn. Now. So, um, if, if anybody wants to, uh, continue following along with all of your fun escapades and, and words of wit, where can they find you online? My friend. I am in the uh, cheesy part of the internet, the cheap, you know, the, the rundown part of the internet at datemore.com uh, and the low rent section. Uh, you will find links to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, various other time sinks that the internet offers, you know, free of charge. Datemore.com. There you awesome. Go. As always, great to see you. Best of luck in your future endeavors, and we will see you soon. All right. We'll see you guys. So, you know, Dan, I've been thinking since we talked to Dayton, um, this is the kind of set of books or, or trilogy that I really wish had been the Star Trek film after Insurrection. <laughs> because it would have been epic and mammoth and still would have pulled in a lot of these characters and actors back when it made sense to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we look at we we talked about it briefly with Dayton. Look at how they how they wrapped up the Avengers Phase One with with Infinity War and Endgame. Totally can see this happening um, as movies if they were done back when all of the actors and and cast and everything were were as they were when we remember them because this is epic. I mean, just this book itself was like, oh my God, we can only imagine what books two and three are going to be like because we've already been kind of hinted at by Dayton of how, oh my God, these book books are going to be like. And yeah, it would have been a, more than one blockbuster, I'm thinking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you've started book two already. Is anyone dead yet? I will not answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. I appreciate you being on the ball for once. That's really kind of amazing. I will say this though. It's yeah. nice to see Captain Sisko in uh, command of a galaxy class starship. I will say that. A spoiler. Well, not a spoiler if you've been reading the books. I haven't read it yet. Not that book, any of the books. There's a little thing in the beginning of each book that says little snippets of what's been going on in the novel timeline since uh, since Nemesis. So that's one of the things that's right there. So just be quiet. How about you just shut your face? All right. The other thing you could do is think about your friends, the band Five Year Mission. They who have shown how much they care about you. They who withdrew a lawsuit against you <laughs> out of the kindness of their hearts. Yeah. Um, they who provide every ounce of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast and who also have their own podcast here on the Trek Geeks podcast network titled, as you might guess, Five-Year Mission, the podcast. Brilliant. 
brilliant. Now, the marketing for people at Podfleet Command really mm. are just amazing. Mm. Um, but we want everyone to head on out to their website, fiveyearmission.net, get all their CDs because, Dan, we've heard it from so many people. They've become big fans of 5YM's music just because we keep talking about it and we're never going to stop. No, we are. We're never going to stop. We're we're never going to give you up. We're never going to let you down. Um, but yeah, you are fired. <laughs> I've never done a rickroll on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network until today, I and you never will again. <laughs> I don't. You know what? That is that's trash compared to what I have today. Because today I'm going to talk about a very important episode from Deep Space Nine season one, and that's Battle Lines. I think you're going to remember that one. It's an interesting episode, Bill, where Cisco, Bashir, Kira, and a very special passenger travel to a planet in the Gamma Quadrant that seems to resurrect the dead. Only problem is, well... Unfortunately, the resurrected can never leave said planet. And that's really too bad because the special passenger on board this runabout was a musical leader of Bajor, a legend, someone who held very special meeting to those who fought in the resistance and who followed the Profarks or the Profarks, depending on how you want to be, if you want to be like censors or censors, whatever. Uh, and how sad that they will never be able to hear the live music and spiritual words of the one and only beloved, Kyle Farka. What? Kyle Farka. She had to stay on that planet. What is it that possesses you? I the, mean, the Pa Wraiths, maybe? <laughs> what is it? What are you, Cyrano Jones as a Pa Wraith? <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and Circle gets the square. Um, I, I've got a lot of questions. The first oh, of yeah. which is I don't know how you don't mention. Mike Airman Trout, if you're I, not talking I, about this episode. If you could see a screenshot right now of my computer, I have a tab open with Mike Airman Trout, and I was going to mention it, but I didn't think it would work, so I left it out. It, I can show you the screen right in front of me. I can't believe you said that. But yeah. I believe you. Jonathan Banks, of course, is <laughs> great so in that good. episode. Yeah, he is. Um, He's good in everything. Great to see him in Star Trek. Yes, um, absolutely. He was a series regular in an early 80s series called Wise Guy, where he played the FBI handler for a deep cover agent. Oh. Um, and he was he was great in that. Even though Ken Wall was in the series, and Ken Wall, uh, I loved him in, in Beverly Hills Cop. He was awesome in that. One of his early roles, very young. Oh yeah, yeah he was I saw assassin. him in something recently um, on one of those retro TV channels, um, and I he looked like he was about twenty five, and I was like, "Whoa, this is just weird." <laughs> wow. Anyway, yes, we digress. Um, Dan's horrible farkism aside, go to wow. fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums. We're begging you, please, because you're going to be a huge fan of the band. Dan, of course, the other thing we don't want people to forget is that they can support the Trekkies Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where we got special perks and lots of great conversations and uh, all kinds of goodness. Yeah, lots of great conversations. It's very easy to uh, to be part of our Patreon. We want to thank all of the people that have joined recently. We've had a we've had a slew of new uh, new members, and we we love talking to every single one of them. And like like Bill said, there's going to be special perks uh, that you're going to get for being a Patreon. You can join us on Discord for some really interesting conversation. I will say, I'd like to discard. I'd like you. to discard me. Yes, I knew that was coming. I should. I walked right into that one. But right now, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks because we are really grateful for their support. And they are Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Rose McKinney, uh, excuse me, Ross McKinney, Aaron Mollenkoff, Casey Pettit, Helen Reed, Tim Robertson, 
Greg Rozier, Sarah Rutlinger, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Jessica Dax Vincent, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hodgins. That was beautiful. I'm so glad Arnold stopped by this week. That's that's mm. fantastic. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Julianne Jordan, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonagall, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shasky, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the always amazing June Tapman. Always amazing. Just amazing. Always. Always. Yeah. You too can become a producer of the Trek Geeks Network. <laughs> Trek Geeks Podcast <laughs> Network, and it's so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Little inside baseball. That's what happened when your eyes leave the copy. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> Where to was me. I? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, next time we convene here on Trek Geeks in just about two weeks, we have our third guest appearance in a row. And this is one we have been waiting and praying for for a very long time. Dude, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this one. You know, this is one that I have been dying to do for four years, and now it's actually happening. The amazing actor who plays Saru will be joining us here on Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek to talk all about Discovery, Hocus Pocus, Buffy, and anything else we can think of. Yes, this is really happening, folks, and I already have goosebumps. The one and only... Doug Jones will be here next time on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Amend that to say Saturn Award winning Best Supporting Actor, Doug Jones. Nice. Um, as as happened, I think, uh, just yesterday or last night um, that Michelle Paradise put on her Instagram. So Amazing. Congratulations to Doug. Uh, like you said, we've been trying to get Doug on the show for four years, ever since Star Trek Discovery was announced. And it finally happened, and we are so proud to bring you that conversation in two weeks on Trek Geeks. For more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts here on the network. In addition to some of the usual suspects like Discovering Trek, Rewind, Politrex, Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, and Sci-Fi Sisters, we welcome Drawn to Trek, Science Station 2, and with the first link to our network family, as the latest additions to the Trek Geeks podcast network. You can find all our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. I would like to throw out a special congrats for the newest version of Discovering Trek Prodigy, which will be coming out and within about a week because the new show starts uh, like tomorrow as we record this. So very exciting. Congrats uh, to Mike and Emma on that. Uh, the Trek Geeks podcast network. No one talks Trek like we do. Excited we finally get the best Bovia at a podcast for the Trek Geeks Network. It's about know, it's damn time. a long time. I know. Um, uh, and maybe someday, I mean, we'll get the second best podcaster in that house too. You never know. <laughs> of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 271 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. Oh, all the coconut in all timelines just got erased. So it's like kind of my, my idea of heaven, if I believed in heaven. 
A, wor- a universe, a galaxy with no coconut? Yeah. Sign me up. That's bad. Your face is bad. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Oh, I said ping pong. Oh, did you say ping pong? I said ping pong back. I said good day. I said ping pong. So I win. Good night, sir. Good ping pong. Good ping pong night. Good bong night. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) This took a turn. There are people who listen with their children. Now their parents are going to have to try to explain what you said, which is true. Just just about everything that comes out of your mouth, but especially more so now. Never done that my entire life. I'm either. Good man. You're a good boy. Well, I have no problems with anyone who does, right, but right. it's just I, not for me. I see a dog staring at me from behind your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, she she often looks confused when she hears idiotic things, so she doesn't take, take that face with me very often. She but. looks brilliantly smart right now, so she must hear me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. How are right. You? That is funny. Yeah. I'm, uh, so, yeah. I, it's been a while since we've talked. Well. Or, or, or caught up on things in the outtake. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Shatner goes to space. He does. Or almost space or whatever you want to call it. Foundral space. Yeah. And nobody renamed the craft to Enterprise. Yeah, I'm that really was sad about this. That was sad. I saw your tweet out to Bezos and, and the company, whatever the hell the company of the big giant. Blue phallic, Origin. Phallic ro- rocket is, but um, yeah, yeah, it, it would have been very simple to do for that one day, but then that would have taken away from Amazon. So, so, oh. <sighs> Amazon, you know, we used to say that Apple or maybe Google, no, Amazon is Skynet. <laughs> they are I'll always believe Google planet. is. No. Amazon's taking over everything, everything. Bezos so, doesn't even run um, Amazon anymore. I know. But he still makes a lot of money. <laughs> well, not as much since his wife, ex-wife took half of well, it. Oh, yeah. That's true, too. Yeah. My dogs are <laughs> my dogs are rambunctious over here. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to want to leave the room or not. I'm not letting them out. I'm recording with my friend. Really? When does he show up? Yeah, right. Right behind you. <laughs> yeah, Abby will want nothing to do with that. Oh, doll. Oh, she like did that, and she's like, "What?" <laughs> I know. She's got that super hearing. Yeah, super dog hearing. She's like, "Oh, is that what it is? It's not like, super fish hearing." She's like super dog. What was the name of the dog in in uh, Wonder Twins? Was there no? That was the monkey. What there was there a super dog? Yeah, there was a super dog that flew. There, not in the uh, not in the super friends. The dog didn't fly. Okay, what was the one? What am I thinking? Um, 
Uh, are you thinking of Astro Superboy's dog? Might be. Yeah, could be. No, uh, not not the Jetsons. No, I don't know. You're going to look it up anyway, I'm sure, because you have a computer right next to you. No, I meant Superman. <laughs> Superboy had Superboy. a dog. Oh, okay. All right. That's That sounds like a song lyric. Superboy had a dog. Um, there was a dog with Wendy and Marvin on Super Friends. Okay. That was before or after Xan and Jane. I'm not sure which, but okay. it was, but the dog could not fly. It was just a dog. Okay. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Here's the thing that always got me is that yeah. Wendy was supposed to be Batman's niece. Batman's an orphan. I don't, I don't. Yeah. He was an only child. He can't have a niece. Why? Was his was his parents? Did his parents have brothers or sisters that had kids? That no, you know I mean, of? It, it, no. Well, wait a minute. The way you just said, just just because he's an only child doesn't mean that that. Well, I said it wrong. But essentially, there is nothing in Batman lore that says that Batman has any aunts or uncles. That doesn't make that just because it hasn't been said doesn't mean it's not true. I'm sorry. This is a Saturday morning TV show. I got to believe it. They had no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. From Especially the same company the that has a monkey named Gleek running around with a little cape and outfit on. Okay. Well, but Gleek is, is alien. So, I mean. <laughs> your face is alien. I wish you had an alien face hugger on your face, basically. Happy Halloween. Wow. This really took a turn. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of how many times the topic has changed from 90 degrees since we started talking only four minutes and 25 seconds ago. <laughs> just another day. It's just another just, day. We move fast. <laughs> we, we make no sense doing it, but we move fast. <laughs> it's on Eagle. <laughs> Actually, funny story. Another funny, another 90 degree. Getting oh, I can't dressed, wait. Can't getting wait. Other, getting dressed the other morning. Thank and God. Our, and our large windows in the bedroom look out into the backyard, which is is just our backyard with a chain link fence. Then like uh, a little bit of shrubbery down a hill and then w- just woods. So there's nothing behind our house. So I'm getting- So did you see a horny Magato or something? No, I didn't. I, um, I'm sitting there putting my socks on and I look up and there's a giant like standing up from head to toe. He's probably five feet tall plus heron walking along the chain link fence right next to the house just like walking very slowly and that's the music i actually started singing while he was walking very cool very big very large bird big eyes pointy beak yeah heron i think it was a heron could have been a finch i'm not sure what the difference is see i don't even have to talk you just keep going I was, I was waiting for there to be a period at the end of your sentence, and it just it wasn't happening. No, so I was really like, all right, I just got to no, shut up. Usually doesn't. Period. <laughs> so, yeah. So thank you for the great blue heron talk here. Uh, it wasn't On blue. the Birds of North America podcast, <laughs> debuting on the Trek Geeks podcast network in August of 2035. Why not? You're bringing everything else in. So, okay. Somebody's got to do something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no boy. Something just happened. Uh, somebody got to go out the, the door? Yeah. Hold on one second. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Keep talking. D- entertain our guests. <laughs> entertain our guests. <laughs> well, that'll be the first time it's happened on this podcast, because uh, Lord knows Dan doesn't certainly entertain anybody. Um, although the unfortunate part is he's actually going to come back. So thus concludes your entertainment portion of the Trek Geeks podcast. And thank you for listening. I can't imagine what you were just talking about. Um, you you probably can't because honestly you're not that bright. So what's funny is you heard the yelp. I'm sure the listeners heard it too. 
nothing was happening. She was just laying there by herself. Callie was nowhere near Arya, and she just went bark, and then just got up. And so I just let him out. And that's that's it. Abby's Abby's twelve now. She will be twelve very shortly, like in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's taken to yelling at us. <laughs> I mean, if for the weirdest things. You know, it's you can tell she's become a, a crotchety old girl um, because if we're not moving in the exact way she wants us to move, she'll just she'll oh. stand there and she'll start yelling at us. Yeah, Callie turns fourteen on Sunday. Wow. Yeah, she's doing great. She's doing good. She just can't hear anymore. She's what? Deep. Yeah, yeah. She's deep. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, say so what? The Trek Geeks podcast is proud to have Fantas as its presenting sponsor. <laughs> Well, we are, but uh, <laughs> well, we are. But. That's that's neither here nor there. I feel like so much has happened in in the world of Star Trek, and yet not a lot has happened in the world of Star Trek. I would say a lot has happened, or is happening. Maybe, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's the best way to put it. You know, we're taking uh, you know we're doing every other week, so all kinds of stuff happens to happen happens to happen um, happenstance when we um, are not recording. So when we get back to regular weekly recordings, maybe then we'll be able to not have it figure out when it happened or when it's going to happen or why it's happening when what <laughs> chicken butt <laughs> so, i yeah. th- i almost followed that uh, th- see that's the thing i sound like i don't know what i'm talking about but i kind of do well it's amazing because you look like you don't know what you're talking about either well looks have nothing to do with it that's why we do a podcast <laughs> I just mean in life. Oh, okay, that's true. So speaking of completely useless things that nobody cares about. So we're going to talk about me, okay. Yeah. Um, I have, you know how I have this habit of remembering things that are related to sports. Oh, I'm aware. So we're at my sister's watching the Patriots game this past Sunday. My mom's there, Chris, Donna, Sue, we're watching the game and, and um, I talk about how uh, Casey said to us in a chat that, it, the weather was going to be really bad for the 49ers game. It's going to be really raining hard. And I read that and I, I told everybody, and I'm like, oh, we're going to have to watch that. That's the night game. So we'll have to see what's going on. And my mom said, yeah, I, I don't like it when they have the Super Bowl when, in the nice weather places or under the dome. And I said, yeah. I said, wasn't it like uh, the Indianapolis Colts were playing the Chicago Bears a few years back and it was pouring? And wasn't it the first Super Bowl that had ever been in bad weather? And they're all looking at me like, you got to be kidding. What are you even talking about? So I looked it up. The only bad weather Super Bowl was against the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears and it was pouring rain. I have no idea where it comes from. It just, it just pops out. I don't it was I I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Wow, that was and I think and, and Indianapolis won." Yeah. So, and you're looking it up right now too cuz you don't believe me either. No, it's not that I don't believe you. I just <laughs> I didn't realize there had been a bad weather one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know that I actually watched the Indy one and if I did, I certainly didn't care about it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I was like, "Wow, I don't I don't even know how I do that anymore." They're just the looks that I get when I do that, they're like, "Oh boy, here he goes." I wish I well, could do that with other things. Don't I know it? So do I. <laughs> and I'm willing to bet that none of our listeners give two craps about that particular Super Bowl. I, I know I don't. With the exception of Fark. Fark, yeah. yeah. Who was an Indianapolis Colts fan. Right, right. Other than that, eh. <laughs> For those listening, the Indianapolis Colts used to be the Baltimore Colts. Right. Um, and in the 80s, they they skipped town. And wasn't literally. that the last year that the Colts really did anything worth talking about? Oh! Just kidding. Just kidding, Fark. <laughs> No, there was that time that they hired Josh McDaniel. Oh. <laughs> anyway, moving right anyway. along. Anyway. 
dug so, it down. Um, dug it we kind of have an episode to do. Oh, yeah, that's right. We do, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> well, that's the story. I am the person that takes the fun out of everything. I mean, no, 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 no. It's me. <laughs> episode asunder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> did I say that out loud? You did. You did. That's all right. I'm going to cough. I'm going to mute. Oh, well, good for you. Uh, it's, I wish you could leave your. Yeah. yeah. For once, I won't have to edit one out. Well, you know. My charm. Are right, you ready to slappy? <laughs> I am. You have charm? I watched the show Charmed back in the day. So why am I not surprised by this? <laughs> I didn't like it, though. I really didn't. It's the hell you it's, didn't. It's no Buffy, that's for sure. What is? What is? <laughs> the Trek Geeks podcast is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Stop. You left out the word network. Oh, yeah. I read right over it. Okay. Coconut! <laughs>